Another episode of our WeatherWise podcast starts right now. Thanks so much for listening. I'm meteorologist Daniel Johnson, and today I'm alongside... Meteorologist Ulysses Garcia. Today's podcast episode is all about looking back 21 years ago this week, the surprise snowstorm of January 25th, 2000 will forever be remembered as a perfect storm for snow lovers, but an imperfect storm for forecasters. So what went wrong and why were meteorologists caught off guard with this storm? Well, we're gonna find out in this episode of our podcast, Ulysses. This was an interesting storm that actually I have a personal story uh, to tell a little bit later on when it comes to this storm. This was a surprise for meteorologists just 24 hours before the storm hit, dumping over a foot of snow across uh, parts of North Carolina uh, parts of Virginia, Maryland, uh, the D.C. area. Before it hit, 24 hours before, there was pretty much no snow in the forecast. So meteorologists were scrambling to catch up in regard to the storm. That pretty much shocked everyone. So before we get to this surprise snowstorm, let's talk about earlier this week, uh, Monday night. We had a snow sleep mix and rain here across Delmarva. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it kind of goes to show what the forecast models can do to meteorologists sometimes. So the snow and the sleet that we had Monday night was a little bit of a surprise. Yes, earlier uh, days ago, we saw that there was a chance that we could have a rain-snow mix. Then it turned into just plain rain, and it looked like there was no chance that we would have any wintry weather. And then just several hours before the storm hit, all the forecast kind of changed and we had to add snow and sleet to our forecast and even call for a dusting to perhaps an inch, uh, which eventually did happen for a lot of us on Delmarva, it was mostly sleet. But anyway, that was a little bit of a surprise. The models weren't doing the best. And again, models are what we use as meteorologists to help us forecast. It's just a tool. We don't copy these models. Um, we use them to help us and assist us. And in January 2000, the models failed us, right? So let's talk about that one. Some people call it the Carolina Crusher. Others call it just the surprise, the surprise snowstorm, a perfect storm. But Ulysses, it was a surprise, right? No, yes, absolutely. It was definitely a surprise. And like you said, I mean, it definitely, you know, Carolina Crusher. So it definitely made it, uh, you know, it's, one of its biggest impacts over the Carolinas. Yeah, they were the winners uh, down in the south. And it was actually a relatively mild winter for most of us in the Mid-Atlantic. But the Carolinas were actually hit with multiple systems uh, leading up to the January 25th storm. So they had already had some winter weather. And this was just more, you know, to add on top of it. So let me just take you back in time. 21 years ago, let's think January 24th. So the day before the storm hit the Mid-Atlantic, all the buzz was still about Y2K, right? And the computers crashing <laughs> in the mm -hmm. year 2000. Uh, we made it to the new year. The computers were fine. There were no issues. We were still partying like it was 1999. All right, let me stop. Let me get back into the actual, 
talk of town here. Uh, but yeah, so what happened was this storm was expected to head out to sea. There was a low pressure in the deep uh, south that was expected to just track off the coast. And no one was expecting it to come up the coast. And there were many factors that led to people believing that. And unfortunately, it was called modelology instead of meteorology. So people literally just took the models and listened to what it said. They didn't look at the upper air patterns too much. They didn't look at the satellite data to help you to be a, you know, to help you forecast. So if you, Ulysses, if you want to talk about, I guess, that storm that eventually came north, if you want to talk about just some snow totals initially, and then we can get into some more details about it and what went wrong. All right, yeah, let's talk about some snow totals. Um, let's just first go, let's first talk about the areas where they got hardest hit before getting to Delmarva. So uh, the biggest winner is definitely in the Carolinas. Um, when it comes to Raleigh-Durham International Airport, got 20.3 inches of snowfall. Uh, Richmond, Virginia had 11 inches of snowfall. Uh, when it comes to, let me see, let me look at some other information here. Uh, I mean, this and this thing, the snowfall actually extended far up to the north as well, into Pennsylvania, New Jersey as well. Um, so I'm looking at Culver Lake in New Jersey, 14.7 inches of snowfall. And then when it comes to, I'm just going to pick a place in Pennsylvania before I go a little more into Delmarva. And I'm trying to see here, there's a Sailorsburg, 13 inches of snow. So these are just places outside of Delmarva that I just wanted to mention, you know, we want to mention really quickly uh, that South Snowfall. And then when it comes to Delmarva here, we're going to first start off in Delaware. Um, 11 inches of snow in Woodside and Dover, 9 inches in Milford, uh, 8 inches in Viola and Sussex County, 8 and a half inches in Georgetown, 8 inches in Seaford, 6.5 in Lewis, 6 in Lowell, 5 in Rehoboth, and then making our way down into, into Maryland, we had 9 inches in Dorchester County, 6 inches in Wicomico, Somerset had 6 inches, and Worcester had 1 inch with mainly ice. Right. So this storm affected a good chunk of the East Coast from the Carolinas all the way up into New England or parts of New England and it dumped snow on Delmarva. It wasn't a record-breaking snow in Salisbury. We had around six inches of snow, but it was still a surprise. The forecast, again, the night before, was a cloudy and cool day coming up. Um, so I want to tell you my, a little quick story. I was living in Northern Virginia at the time in a town mm -hmm. called Dale City, uh, or Woodbridge, if you've heard of that town, right off of I-95, just south of D.C., born and raised there, and I remember watching this storm on satellite and radar and watching the Weather Channel because I was addicted to the Weather Channel and all of our news stations. And everyone was calling for, you know, a, a great, like a quick, perhaps maybe a dusting. It's just going to clip our area to the south. So I just kept watching. I stayed up late. And I believe I was 14 years old or so. So I was in high school. So it was fine to stay up a little late, I guess. And I was tracking the storm. And I noticed on radar that it was moving almost due north, but this was supposed to move east. And our forecast was still for just a dusting. And this was for like the six o'clock news. 
So then I stay up for the 10 o'clock news and they update it to maybe one to three inches of snow. And then it gets to the 11 o'clock news on some stations and they jump to four to eight inches of snow. And I wa I'm watching radar and it's literally on our doorstep. The snow's about to move in. So I go upstairs and I wake my parents up because they're going to bed. They already went to bed. And that's the thing. So many people in our area went to bed thinking the next day would just be a cloudy and dry day. And a lot of them woke up to snow everywhere. My parents, I warned them, I woke them up and I said, we're getting a lot of snow, everything changed. It just fascinated me as you know, a young kid, as a teenager. And I was already fascinated with weather to begin with. And to see that these th the models can, and the meteorologists can get something so wrong, it was fascinating and I couldn't believe that that happened. So they eventually got the forecast right, but it was literally just hours before the storm hit. So that was a pretty cool experience. I could still picture the meteorologist that I was watching at the time and what he was saying, and he couldn't believe it either. So um, it was pretty incredible. Again, it pushed all the way up through New England. As you mentioned, you gave some New Jersey snow totals of over 15 inches and high points. Uh, you mentioned, I think you mentioned Culver Lake, 14.7 inches. So uh, a lot of snow across the area. And there was beach erosion too, right, Ulysses? There were some problems here on Delmarva with the strong winds coming in off the coast. Yes, we had snow and ice, but it brought in flooding uh, because of the wind direction and because of that heavy precip. No, yeah, absolutely. And, and definitely, you know, um, we even got dune damage, um, you know, in Rehoboth Beach and like you mentioned, flooding. So, you know, definitely when a system like this, you know, strengthens and, you know, just becomes powerful, that becomes a concern. So. Obviously, you know, with cyclogenesis and, uh, you know, intensifying systems, you know, you got to include other factors. It's not just going to be the snow alone. It's going to be wind and any coastal effects. And obviously here on Del Marva, we've got some of those impacts, storm surge. Um, so, yeah, so you can still get storm surge. You know, you know, it doesn't have to be from a hurricane. You can still get it from, uh, you know, nor'easters. I know storm surge, you know, we tend to use it a lot with tropical terminology, but it, it could be you known just mid-latitude cyclones and, uh, you know, just winter weather. Right. So we had so many effects here on Delmarva and up and down the East Coast. And, you know, it was kind of an embarrassment for local TV meteorologists for the National Weather Service. And we've had misses in the past. We've had storms that we forecast would happen. We would get a lot of snow. You go to bed thinking you're, you're going to get it. Then you wake up and it's sunny. I remember that happened to me as well in my town of Dale City in Woodbridge when I was a kid. I forgot how old I was and what the exact storm was, but I remember going to bed thinking we were going to have a lot of snow, and I woke up to sunshine and no snow, and it was so upsetting. So we've had forecasts go both ways where we've, you know, we've messed it up, and it's an imperfect science, atmospheric science, weather. So this podcast is all about kind of understanding what went wrong then and how things can still go wrong to this day. Knock on wood. I'm hoping our forecast models have greatly improved since 2000, and they really have. But I hope they've improved enough where we won't have any big mistakes like that, uh, like this one um, in 2000. So they actually did research studies and, and you know projects trying to understand what happened. So the short-range models at the time, which are usually really good forecast models within 48 hours of a storm, they give you a clue, a better idea, a better handle of what's going to happen. There were two models called the ADA and the NGM. 
Both of those have been retired models ever since. We've improved models since then, so we no longer use those. But they both tracked the storm well to our south and out to sea. And a lot of for, uh, meteorologists you know, believe those forecast models because they're supposed to be reliable. So what they're saying, what went wrong, is we've looked at this, and what they said was, and this is going to be a lot of scientific uh, you know, wording here, but I'll, I'll talk to everyone in layman's terms after I read it, but one research paper said that the difficulty of real-time operational numerical forecasts come from insufficient model grid resolution, errors in the model initial state, and the strong non-linearity inherent in the dynamic system, plus other factors like the physical parameterization that could have led to operational forecast failure. So what that means is the models were not uh, proficient in understanding the local area. Um, and they weren't good at getting the initial, so for example, let's say the temperature is 32 degrees in Salisbury, but the forecast model comes out and we get updates from models every few hours. So let's say the latest update comes out and it says, and it does initiate at a current time. And it tells you what's happening in America at that time. So it's 32 degrees in Salisbury, the model's released, and it says the temperature is 40 in Salisbury. Again, this is just an example. That is so wrong. So if the model can't even analyze current conditions correctly, how is it going to forecast the future, right, Ulysses? So we look at these forecast models and they have, you have to see if they're actually initiating the current state of the atmosphere correctly or not. And people weren't looking at that at the time. So there was a lot that went into it. No, yeah, ab absolutely. And I know, like, I talked about this in my weather tidbit segment when we were, I was talking about forecasts, um, you know, what type of forecasting to do because there's multiple types. And I, I did one on numerical weather prediction. And, like, you were stating that the failures of it involved the fact that, you know, how the, the parameters of the models are and the fact that, you know, um, the, the geography of the area, but also the, the data, what data is available. So, like you're saying, if the data, if the own current conditions cannot be correct, then it won't work, and that makes it flawed. And even though I talked about in weather tidbits, numerical weather prediction using the models is considered the best forecasting type, it still has those flaws. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so, and I know, like, for us here, like, the models, they tend to get their data from, you know, weather, uh, weather balloons that are released from the National Weather Service through radio science. And that, they get, they absorb some of that information, you know, you, and then, you know, using equations and whatnot. And that's how they, you know, create these models um, using a bunch of other parameters as well from the upper levels of the atmosphere. And that's how we get that information. But if there's any gaps in that information, that will create problems within the model itself. Right. And these forecast models that you mentioned, again, the tools that I said we use as meteorologists to help us predict the future, it's literally a supercomputer that is running a mathematical formula based off of current conditions, the balloon data that Ulysses mentioned, and it's running these calculations. It's literally a calculation we learn in college that these computers handle because they can do it so much. You know, they can do it quickly. And that is, that's what helps us forecast future weather. So obviously there are flaws. 
Uh, it's an imperfect science. Uh, there are constant tweaks to some of these formulas that we try to, to make our forecasts better. And the forecasts really have improved. Every single year, our forecasts get better. Of course, we still miss some, and we nail others as well. And that happens. And that's why we wanted to talk about this in this podcast, because just recently, we were kind of surprised with that little bit of a wintry mix. It wasn't a huge deal um, just the other morning or other night. But it's just an example that these numerical models, you know, they can be wrong and don't take them. You should take them for, with a grain of salt, especially several days out. And, you know, when the pattern is kind of complicated, even the computers have trouble determining what's going to happen. So what was the other factor I read? Other factors included physical parameterization. So what that means is meteorologists were looking at the models, but they weren't necessarily looking at other factors such as satellite data. So if you want a snowstorm on the East Coast, this is going to be kind of hard to explain for listeners, but you want a negatively tilted trough. So a trough in the atmosphere is a dip in the jet stream that brings in the cold air. You don't want it to be perfectly vertical. You want it to be tilted a little bit. So if you grab that and tilt it to your left, that's what you want. That's a negatively tilted trough. And that's what the current satellite at the time was showing. But the forecast models seem to ignore it. So if you were a meteorologist and you saw that, your eyes would have been like, whoa, it's negatively tilted. You would think that would make the storm come up the coast and not out to sea. I know that's kind of science jargon, but that's just one thing we look at. And that is something that looked at after the storm happened that a lot of people ignored current satellite data and just listened to the models. And I know it's hard to ignore the models, Ulysses, right? We know what that's like because they're yeah. usually pretty accurate cl close when you're close to a storm happening. No, yeah, absolutely. Definitely the models, like uh, like I mentioned in that weather tidbit series, I mean, uh, yeah, definitely numerical weather predictions considered the best forecasting type, but we also have to realize that there's also other forecasting trends that we can use. We, we can use persistence, um, climatology, trends, and analogs. Uh, and to quickly just describe the last of the analog, that's just looking at, at past systems with similar characteristics to give you an idea of how to make a forecast. And that's also the thing that we can't just rely on these models because these are computers. Um, they're imperfect, like Daniel's been mentioning. So we also have to rely on other methods of, meter, of forecasting as well that are not based on computers. And sometimes we have, we have to, you know, use analog or trends. And, you know, so sometimes you might even have to look at history or something to determine, okay, so, you know, and so that's, like Daniel said, this is one system that definitely, um, you know, it was, a, you know, it definitely caught everybody by surprise. But now here, 20 years later, if something like this were to happen again, um, you know, we always have history to look back at it to, you know, correct those mistakes and to have a better forecast in the future. And I love the way it was described by a meteorologist in the Carolinas, describing it as the perfect storm for snow lovers, but an imperfect storm for forecasters. So mm -hmm. it really was a challenge, and it's a storm that will forever be remembered as that, as a storm that, you know, a lot of people missed or didn't really get caught up with the forecast until it was a bit too late. And we never want to see that happen again, <laughs> especially as meteorologists, we want to get everything right. So what made it go north? Again, that trough 
It was negatively tilted. It was diving deep into the south, all the way down to Florida. It picked up that low pressure down in Florida, swung it to the north, and then it phased with another low pressure north of it along the Great Lakes and into Canada. And those two storms phased together and the storm really blew up. And that's what dragged it even farther to the north and, and blew it up in terms of the heavy snow and the precipitation. So I remember that snowstorm. I got about a foot of snow in my backyard at that time. It was amazing, crazy that, you know, we missed it at that time, but it just goes to show this podcast that weather is a challenging science. Forecasting is challenging as well. And we're gonna keep working to get better, right? And it's important to mention to not just listen to models. We have to use our brains as a meteorologist and you know what we learned in college and as scientists to better forecast. No, yeah, absolutely. We definitely gotta use you know what we learned um, in school and you know definitely also from past experiences, um, you know, from history uh, or, or even our own personal experiences, like you know from in the weather and you know, to make our conclusions. So we just cannot solely rely on these models. As great as they are, they, they are still flawed. They're just a computer, you know. They're, they're just equations, they're just numbers, um, you know. Uh, and keep in mind, it's just a computer, so it, doesn't, it knows to a certain degree certain aspects, but not everything. Yeah, exactly. So Ulysses and I, we're committed to getting better and better. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to this surprise snowstorm edition of January 25th, 2000, from years ago. So let's hope it never happens again. I'm meteorologist Daniel Johnson. Tune in next week for another edition of WeatherWise, where we're going to bring you more of what, Ulysses? Weather wisdom. All right. See you later. See ya.